Hello, I'm Eagle, Eagle Gardens, Eagle Gardens 1 on Instagram, and this is fucking talking shit with Eagle, episode 307, holy shit, I can't believe it's up there that high already. Hopefully you guys have had an amazing Sunday, I've had a pretty good day, we've got an amazing guest here with us tonight, somebody absolutely seen around the chat, 100%, and you've caught him on the GR420 community videos last week. Me all flower, how you doing? You want to tell us tell us how you're doing and where we can find you, good sir? Uh, well, good morning, and uh, it's a pleasure to be here finally to make it yeah? on the best show on the internet, huh? One that's brought us all together. That. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I've. Uh, been around the community a little while, just sitting in the wings as you do, sitting, looking and uh, learning. So uh, I'm just one of them that likes to hang out and chat in all these different uh, forums and yeah, try and learn some knowledge that's been dropped a little I keep bit. forgetting that I got to start chat. There's something wrong with the, the show. Well, well chat doesn't work until I, I say something now. And I keep forgetting, you know, I'm watching people. I don't know. I don't get it. But I, you I'm sitting to, here watching people. Go ahead. I'm sorry, bro. I've seen uh, where uh, Bubble Man had to comment for it to get up and working on Hash Church yesterday. Oh, he had to do it too, huh? Yeah. All right, good. That makes me feel better when it's... I know it oh, sounds shitty, but... Yeah. Yeah, he was asking everybody, and they were saying, no, you're not in chat at all. So yeah, it must be something a, in the... A new switch or something, like an update or something, maybe. That's weird. Glad I got it figured out, though, man. I tried to do the chat with uh, Matthew Gates the other night. Man, it was tough. You know, it, you wouldn't... It's weird how that affects things, you know, even it being like a virtual thing and, you know, like say the audience isn't here, like a, a normal show would be, they definitely have a presence, <laughs> you know, and it was weird not having chat being part of the show the other night. It was like a, being in a, like a big studio with just nobody. <laughs> it's, it, <laughs> Yeah, it actually felt like that. It was really surreal. No, chat is a an essential part of the show. Oh, that's for sure. The lifeblood. The lifeblood of it all. So what are you smoking on over there? You rolled yourself up an ice cannon. Uh, I'm smoking on some uh, Gorilla Glue Cross with Girl Scout Cookie. It's uh, Rilliger from Sweet Seeds. Sounds pretty good. Sounds pretty good. And of nice. course, I'm sure you grew that out yourself. Say that again? I said I'm guessing you grew that out yourself? Yeah. Uh, been I had it for about the last year. So I'm on probably a third round of it, and it's just about now getting nice. Just settling into my garden anyways. 
Nice, good producer, everything. Nice round, like heavy, good dense bud, and lovely structure and everything to it. So, sweet seeds. I've noticed that with with a lot of seeds that I've run, that they they don't necessarily. I find they aren't mature until like the second or third round. That's yeah. when I can say that everything's kind of come out on it. You, you find that to be very true too. I a hundred percent. I find like from seed the first time you run it, you run it. It's a, it's got that lovely seed profile and it's you know very vigorous and everything. And then when you do the second run, it's more settled to your environment. And then by like it's actually I there's if it's even a genetic drift or whatever it is, it seems to just settle in you know by the third round that you can really knock her down like and the, the terpene profile is actually uh, way different than the first profile that you got from seed boy it's it's always <laughs> nice to hear that hear other folks uh, agree with you on stuff like that because I, I tested seeds for a long, long time. I still test seeds. I had a lot of people over the years, breeders that want that that strain report the first round just as fast as they can get it, the picks and the report, so they can get that shit out of there. And I've always argued the fact that it, the, the report's incomplete until, like we said, at least the second round, at least the second round, I can give an accurate description of the strain. I just always felt that it was unfair to give it on that first round. So I'm glad that uh, you, you find the same uh, same thing going yeah, on. I, I wouldn't, I'd, I'd never get rid of something unless it was like really bad, like just didn't suit my environment. I'm, I kind of live in a like high humidity where I'm having to run humid. No, at the moment because it's so cold, I'm not. Yeah. Usually here it's uh you gotta have two humidifiers on to go all the time. Yeah. So you're fighting it's all you're you're always fighting the battle here. <laughs> so we might as well get get going from the beginning like we like to do around here. So when did uh cannabis come uh ventured into your life over there. When was the first time uh, you messed with um, cannabis? The first time was uh, my uh, cousins had come back from England for the annual holiday every year back for two weeks and uh, the two old, the two cousins were one was maybe 14, 15. I was around 12 years of age and uh this is roughly around 1978, 79. And uh, they came back and uh, as they did every summer. And uh, they asked me, could I get a lender of my father's boat, lake boat, to go fishing? And uh, base, we went fishing and uh, we were out, out in the middle of the lake. And uh, the older brother produced this little uh, brass pipe. And it was uh, like a, the weirdest contraption I ever seen before. And one of the best kind of old school pipes. 
and it was a Rolls Royce of pipes, a little brass one with little cylinders on the side and all that that you could collect your oil and all that. Had like a a tool for yeah, strange like you know that you you collect your recar you know or decar whatever. But uh, he produced this pipe and he started to fill it. I didn't even see it like until it was uh, they had handed it to one another and then they looked at me and they went. And you're smoking it too. Yeah. So they kind of put it on me that like, if okay, so I couldn't tell. Yeah. And uh, that was my initial one little suck on that and never had like smoked a cigarette or anything. So it was like a coffin fit in a boat, trying to stay in the boat without falling out of the boat and then getting a whitey and getting sick. And yes. So my first thing was like a, having seasick but not been at sea so that was my first introduction yeah and as far as i know it was afghani hash when they speak of it now like because they kind of take the piss out of me having a whitey but i've got them back ever since yeah like they don't take anything from me anymore <laughs> as in edibles or anything like that <laughs> so uh yeah and it was like the next day, they, it was a, the pipe, and then there was a joint. And uh, so from, you know, from an early age, 12 years of age, it was around, you know. So uh, that was the first, and then it was probably a year before I ever smoked again, until they turned up the next year. And in that time, I had... Uh, told one of my friends, as you do, like, because the conversation comes up about, yeah, hash, and it was mainly hash that we were getting. It was never much any greenery or anything like that. So you're, uh, the next day I got introduced to tobacco poisoning as well. So, you know, there's a, that's the introduction you get to smoking around here was a, it was never enough hash, and uh, you got poison with a tobacco joint. So that's where the splits kind of come in, and you know the nicotine addiction comes. So it's uh, from there. It was uh, maybe you know the next summer I said it to a friend, and of course they said get us some so I can prove that you know. And yeah, of course you got to prove you got to bring that piece to the table and. Uh, Ever since I brought that piece of the table, it's kind of been beside me all my life. It's kind of been, a, you know, it's always been around me. I've been attracted since day one. So I can't help but wonder when you told the friend there that uh, the cousins were coming back, were you like, no, you might want to be around when these two kids show up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, oh yeah, I had the best friends for like that two week period that they were over and all that. Like they hung around like flies to choice, you know. So uh, yeah, it's, from that introduction, it was uh, of course. Then you got to find your own, you know. So in a small western town in Ireland, is not a you know, it's not. You know, back then it wasn't too feasible. You know, it wasn't accessible or anything. You had to go to a bigger town or city to get it. So uh, 
know. Go to Galway City was the next place. And uh, that was like a fishing on the Atlantic coast. So uh, very accessible for all boats coming from all over the world. So as you know, uh, any fishing port, you'll usually find a source, especially in the big city. So uh, this pub anyways, the Harbour Bear in Galway was renowned. Like I don't mind dropping the name because it's 30 odd years ago since or maybe more. So... You know, and it's renowned. There's books. People have wrote books and wrote songs about their first time scoring. And that's where they got it. Like, you know. So it's in a little bit of Irish folklore, as in a place of kind of a speakeasy pub where it was friendly to smoke. You know, back in the 70s and 80s, a lot of pubs, I think because of the tobacco smoking and pipe smoking of that sort of thing, uh, people got away smoking joints of hash. It was, you know, it kind of wasn't kind of, people didn't, people, other people didn't know and other people didn't care at the time. You know, people seemed to mind their own business more back then. You know, it was slightly different. And then... Uh, the hippies turned up. So there was a they, just an overflow. Did the hippies for me bring the flower? Yeah, the hippies brought everything. They brought all the colorful pieces of paper, microdots, everything. So, uh, yeah, the. So once I kind of got a sus on it, yeah, here it was a. Uh, very small circles, very very small. You know, as you when it when it's when it's all new, it's very very. You know, the circle is very very small, and uh, you know you 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 it. What drives you on is because you keep getting ripped off by these people as well. You know, they're in the size and the measure of things, and you know, I'm talking before it was a metric weight, and you know, when it was still all big blocks of, you know. It always uh, throws me off to hear the first experiences as hash, you know, it's such a different experience from here in the States, you know, flowers always been around here. It's always, always, as far as I can remember, there's been flower floating around here and it's been the opposite, you know, we've been lucky if we could get our hands on, you know, a nice piece of hash and, you know, Shit, I don't honestly think I even come across a nice hunk of blonde hash until maybe, I don't know, 17, something like that was my first piece of hash. And I was like, I didn't even, I was like, what what the fuck are we going to do with that hash? We smoke, we smoke weed. We smoke weed. What are we going to do with hash? Oh, you put it in a pipe. At first, I didn't like it. It was like all perfumey tasting. And we didn't, you know, didn't know. I liked the high, obviously, but but we wouldn't know how to deal with the hash. It wasn't until years later we learned to appreciate it. Yeah, like when we used to get like little, little, tiny little bits and trying, I remember the first time trying to roll. What us? It was, you know, you need a science degree as far as, you know what I mean? Your hands are perforating. You wet the papers with your touch. It's like, you over, you know, wet it, you know, your the papers fall apart. It's what a mess. And 
then you're killing yourself with tobacco, you know, as a, you know, so. Yeah, it's a so when hash. You did so that whole, we just brought up on a culture of just hashish. Being an island in the middle of the, the Atlantic, we're very accessible, you know. You know, it's like a, it's like a smuggler's paradise, you know, in a sense. Like if you go back and look at Mr. Nice book, yeah, Howard, and uh, where is his operation from? Here, you know, back through the whole 70s and 80s. This was his platform. This is where he landed and, and then went to Europe and to America from here. Like. <coughs> so I get how would you describe hash at that point? Most people I hear when I talk to them and they talk about that experience with hash being first, they all like, it, it was, was shit. You got, um, it was way better quality because there wasn't the market, the people, the, the amount of people that were looking for that product, the demand wasn't, demand, demand was there, but it was only in, you know, it, it hadn't taken off yet. You know, it wasn't the 90s where everyone was turned on to this, you know. You know, back in the, the 70s and 80s, it was a very taboo, hush-hush, and very small, you know, as, like, how I got my introduction to kind of lev or to blonde and Lebanese hash and red leb and different was uh, the UN soldiers, yeah, uh, the Irish soldiers had to go off on duty to over to the Lebanon at the time to the Golan Heights. There was that conflict between Israel and that's still going on today. So a lot of uh, soldiers from here ended up serving. And uh, my friend Trip, his brother, was one of the young guys that happened to be over there, like 18, 19 years of age. And uh, seven months later, we had these lovely uh, Hessian sacks with uh, political uh, logos printed on the Hessian sacks. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, back then things were slightly different. It was, you know, the presentation of it was unbelievable. I know people that still have the little sacks and have them framed to this day from there. And uh, I know people that have had them on their wall and people then notice what they were, the drug squad and the rest of the people were because they're still, you know, THC on the, you know, you know, it's still test positive. So, you know, but so that's our introduction through a conflict in the Middle East. We ended up getting the best hash for, say, from the 70s right through to the 90s. The whole of the 80s, the unbelievable hash, like in really, really good quality, like melting, like bubble in your hand. But as the years went on, the quality got, you didn't get the top sieve anymore. You know, they had copped on, okay, we're keeping that for us, and you're probably getting, you know, third and fourth sieve and you know you know a lot more plant material plus they you know they they collect all the male pollen as well and they can add that in as well plus they like to use henna you know to bulk things up 
in the 90s, that's where they were heading, you know. But from, through the whole 80s, the cream of the crop of hash. And the, there was a, a world-renowned horse fair not too far from where I come and uh, that happens once a year and uh, I think I'll just have to let the dog out yeah just give me one no second worries. go ahead yeah so uh, yeah so yeah, so the the quality hash, I kind of, in that sense, having quite, you know, near the source of the of the red leb and all that, um, kind of opened a door that, uh, you know, you had a good nose for this, yeah. By the by, you know, the mid eighties, you know, you were well established as you know a hash smoker, you know. And uh, you'd have all your little pipes and pot knives and, you know, like all the little things that, you, you know. Uh, so there was this horse fair anyways, and uh, it's a gathering of tribes from all over the world, basically. <laughs> it's a huge horse. It goes on for like four or five days. Well, it goes on for two weeks, but there's, there's two weekends to it. There's like a, a mare... The first weekend, and then it's like the full fair. It's like for smaller, yeah, the following week. But anyways, the Thatcher had ran all the hippies out of England, yeah, in the eighties, and uh, they found refuge in in Ireland. And dogs need back in. Hopefully that's it for a little while. <laughs> so uh, basically, the hippies turned up, and uh, there's they brought like a a lot of color to the fair. They brought teepees and uh, Bedouin marquee like tents from uh, Afghanistan, and all with all the colors and you know really you know these. Un unbelievable for you know to see in in the west of Ireland at that time, and uh, they'd have like all their tinsmith wear stuff to sell all the to the people during the daytime, and then they at nighttime they turned all these things into like a like a small little circus, like a like a little bit of a freak show. They had like snake charmers and you know belly dancers, and you know it was you know a little bit off the cuff, you know, and. Uh, they had then like the the hippie music was like a very kind of similar to your Grateful Dead type of people, like it was a band called Here and Now, but they were playing under a different name and another band uh, members of Hawkwind and things like that, and they were just it was their uh, winter refuge and they lived in the down in the south of Ireland, some of them do to this day, and uh, so uh, you had a. You know, there's, it's a very kind of magical once the lights go down and they, and these start to entertain and it's, 
you know, kind of sucks everyone in because nobody had ever seen anything like that before. Yeah. Plus they'd brought like a trapeze artists and things like from, they were a, a Tibetan mountain truck troop. Yeah. And uh, so these were like, they had like a, the guy that done the snake chairman was like a, a bubba. He done like a tarot readings or like, you know, like card readings or fortune readings. All like, yeah. So they anyways brought this beautiful hash, charis. The smell, it was like rugs burning. Yeah. But like this musky smell, uh, you know, like hippies had patchouli oil and all that shit. But no, this was a funk. You know, this was different, you know. And you'd get this whiffs, or you'd see bellows of smoke coming, but you wouldn't see anybody with a joint. So, but you did, right. So I found out they were smoking chillums, yeah. When I finally tracked them down, they were, so there's, and uh, these were all kind of older, kind of, you know, way older than me. They were like, like more kind of, they had kids nearly my age, and they weren't kind of interested, like it was more, their kids were kind of selling to us, if you can understand that, you know. So uh, as they do, and uh, so uh, that was the introduction to once I got like uh, in with them, and uh, you know t- would turn up regularly, you know. And I was keeping myself happy, and they were quite happy with it, the arrangement that we came together with. And uh, so we found we bonded, anyways. And uh, I ended up moving to London with one of their sons. You know, work in Ireland at that time was very scarce. And our biggest export is people, you know, as you know. That's what we do. We export people to the four corners of the world. You know, it's a kind of a, you know, it's a brain drain on the country in a sense. You know, so there was a big... A big uh, squatting community then in London. You don't probably uh, right. So basically, squatting is if you uh, can enter a building, and uh, if you can change the locks on the door before the police turn up, and put a sign. You know what I mean? Saying that you're the resident of this house. The laws in England were slightly a bit strange for that, and we took fully advantage of not paying. You know, free rent in London. You know, when you're over there and you're first built working on the building sites and you're, you know, as you do the working and get, you know, up at six o'clock in the morning, you know, back home at five o'clock, you know, you're you're usually into a pub and uh, you're getting your dinner, you know what I mean, and your, your drink, because that's why they want you there. And you're usually living probably in digs next door, or, you know what I mean, and your wages come into the pub so it's like a, it's like the the foreman that you're working for has a thing going with that pub, and it's all like you know, it's like an entrapment into alcoholism, yeah. And uh, growing up in Ireland, uh, I seen way too much of that, like on the alcoholism scene, that kind of drove me to more to be a stoner. So uh, that was like another another side of. Uh, why I ended up living in squats was to get away from kind of the Irish, you know, just kind of make a break for it yourself. And because I had already been 
tuned into the alternative lifestyle of of the hippies and you know so uh we i still was going to work in the same places but living rent free in these squats and you the the communities over there that be uh the whole punk scene had just started at that time so there was like loads of different that was all fresh uh you had lots of different things like you know that were bursting with energy all that dub reggae was just been born and yeah the beginnings of that uh where i lived in uh, southeast london when i broke away from the irish community and uh, went out by ourselves there was a the rasta headquarters of europe happened to be like only four doors away from our squad which was their squad and uh so i kind of had an introduction to them to the rastas in london and uh you know good quality smoke and that was kind of the first time getting any sort of kind of weed as such yeah i did get weed back in ireland but it was you know it wasn't yeah it was probably more brick weed you know Apart from one time we got this uh, weed that came in a sardine can, and that was the only time that was Durban poison, and that was like, you know, the twisty lids that you wind, that you put the, and you wind the lid off the, yeah, strangest, only ever seen it once, yeah, hmm. and whether he had packed them in there himself or whatever he had done, yeah, <clears throat> but uh, in London, anyways, you had a. Access to everything, you know, it was you know, back in the eighties, anyways, say mid eighties. It was a uh, one hell of a place to kind of go as a young kid and kind of you know lose yourself, let yourself go, and uh, so the you just you get introduced to different people, and uh, one of the one of the guys would go to Morocco. So that was okay. So we kind of from London, round eighty. Well, we went to, I went to, uh, and got kind of my first really good smoke of what considered as like skunk number one and things. And uh, my first haze was a uh, eighty-five in Christmas Amsterdam. So that's when I kind of my first introduction. I never smelled anything like it. I thought it was the most disgusting. You know what I mean? I was going like, how would you? You know, as a, when you smell it before you taste it, it's like, oh, you know, it's a, that can't be enjoyable. You know, it's kind of got this, you know, got that funk to it. So, uh, and I was over with the intentions of going to Amsterdam, going and getting the cream of Charis and getting, you know, I had my mind set in what I was getting Temple Ball, this and I was Manali, like all the different regions, you know, try and get some uh, hash from uh, Kashmir and things like that, you know. So, you you know, when I went there, like I was, you know, what the Rastas were smoking in London was a uh, weed that probably only ever went probably five, six weeks. You know, in a, in you know, in a, in a growth season, and probably was half mouldy, and you know, you know, 
a little bit of seed that had gone to seed, you know. Genetics was, you know, at that time, you know. So I think everything was like a mixture of uh, Colombian and, uh, you know, it was there, there wasn't a, a Pacific strain of weed at that stage that, you know, that you could put your finger on, okay, in England anyways, or any, like, you know, Holland was the only place that you could say, okay, they had uh, all their different hazes and they had, you know, they had the skunks and, you know, and purple haze. Like, I couldn't believe when the guy showed me purple haze the first time, I was thinking he has died. You know what I mean? He's put this in the bat or something and tie-dyed, you know, like used a funky colour to, you know, and it was just the marketing trip. Yeah. I couldn't believe that you could get that colour, you know. I can't help but wonder if... Uh, at- you know, everybody dreams of going to Amsterdam, you know, the, the cannabis mecca of the world there. But I can't help yeah. but wonder if, you know, things the way things are now, if it hasn't uh, ruined it, you know, if, for the wonderland aspect of it. If I were to go now, you know what I mean? Having things be the way they are, if it would be as special as it would have been, you know, 10, 15 years ago. It's nothing like it was, of course as everyone will tell you that, because everybody's first experience is always better than the second and third time to go, yeah? You know, once you get your cherry burst in, in uh, over there, you know, it's a baptismal of, you know, you, you, you've never had that menu ever put on front of you before, and for to walk into coffee shops as a young kid, you know, 19, 18, 19 years of age, and to have menus, like, you know what I mean, there's you know, back in, in the mid-80s that they had all, you know, the, the different types of hash, you know, from all over the world. Like, yeah? And, you know, the, the strains that they had a weed, you know, they had like skunk and they had uh, hazes and uh, there was a superwoman, superman, different, you know, I mean, they were all the kind of northern lights, the white widow, you know, but... Uh, 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 you know, you, you, it's like, oh, it's an unbelievable experience. The smells, the access that you had, like back then, they would show you the stuff, like put, like you could actually, you know, you could taste it, you know, you know, not like now. You can only look now and buy, you know, and uh, seal inside this horrible plastic. And yeah, probably you don't know so how long the shelf life of it or anything. And that was the thing back then is was uh, most of the stuff that was coming in that was good quality in, in Amsterdam, you know what I mean, was coming in from fellow people. Like, you know what I mean, that was only bringing in small quantities of real top quality. Because, you, you know what I mean, you, you're not going to bring, if you brought shit there, you get laughed at. So like it was like a, it was an amazing place. And then to go back over, go there in the eighties and Amsterdam was a very smelly, as in the canal system was really bad through the eighties and nineties of anyone that remembers that time. It was like, wow, because the, the sea level, it goes up and down. So you get it twice a day and you get that back. Oh, Talk about living in a toilet bowl. 
you know. So that's why we, we reckon they had skunk, was to cover that fucking shitty smell. <laughs> we used to take the piss out of them, you know what I mean, in that sense, you know. And uh, so, the, you know, that's what we used to say, they had stinky weed to cover the smell of the canal, yeah. And uh, so, you mo moving on from there, we kind of... You know, you after you go to Holland once or twice and that experience and okay, and somebody puts it on the table. Look, I go to Morocco and I can I can bring you if you want it. You can come with me the next time I go. So I got the money together and uh, took him up on his offer. And uh, I just need to get a drink there for a minute. Yeah, no problem. <clears throat> How you doing, Andrew? Are we on for Thursday? We still on for Thursday, Andrew? Oh. Yeah, so get a little drink going myself. Yeah, little bit of kombucha. All right. Oh yeah, no alcohol here. No. What kind of kombucha you got? I, I, I love my kombucha. This is a strawberry one. All the time. Can you see that? No. Can you see me? I, I can see you. I've never had any strawberry kombucha. That'd probably be pretty damn good. Is that better? Yeah. Nice. This is a med hair and everything. So, one of my, a friend of mine makes it. I make my own as well, but I just, I had a disaster the other day. I was transferring, making up an eight liter batch of it. And I heat, I got my Killian jar and I heated it up and I had it all clean and I heated it up again before I put my mix back in. And just, yeah, should have left it maybe another half an hour and it would have been but. I had a, must have had a hairline crack or something, but she just, the whole bottom of my big eight liter jar went pop and I lost all my material. But I still had like, you know, my previous from last week and the week before. So I just, so, but I lost, yeah, I lost my big batch. <laughs> I gave away lots of people uh, kombucha for Christmas, so. Trying to get everybody turned on to it as much as I can. Yeah. I've, I've found stuff, I found man. Yeah, I found out I've suffered with psoriasis, and uh, I usually would this time of year. Yeah, we, you know, as growers, we seem to spend probably a lot more time indoors. You know, as we do when we don't. You know, when we do get out, it's probably into a car and driving, and you know, the only time I'm really out is when I'm with my dogs. I find, you know, I find, we're, you know, but uh, I, especially this time of year, I have a bad, you know, the uh, reaction to my psoriasis that would have flared up at this stage, especially probably after eating a rich diet over Christmas. So uh, this has really helped me clear up, you know, both inside and out. And, you know, it's a pleasure to drink as well. Plus, I, you know, the benefits are, you 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 know yourself. Oh yeah, 
It's, I'm, I'm right there with you. I try to get it, but I, my, I got my kids drinking it. Smiley's drinking it. You know, <laughs> I try to pass it on. It really does. Once you you get it, start drinking it. When you stop drinking it, you actually like start craving it. Your body's like, man, I need to be put back in check. But you're absolutely right with the the mice, uh that helping your psoriasis though. You know, I was just listening to a book the other day. Uh, the dirt cure and they were directly relating your the mice the gut uh the fungus in your gut to a lot of your overall health and they were saying that uh the way you eat uh has a lot to do with stuff like that and with uh the proper fungus uh in your gut there you could cure yourself of stuff like psoriasis and a lot of other uh diabetes was another one uh fibromyalgia there was just a bunch of stuff that uh, could be cured by getting your gut uh the proper bacteria and culture going in your gut you know i was surprised i was surprised though you know it was kind of weird how the started off because you figured it you know it was about soil but she she was a doctor and talking about, you know, how we could actually uh, get so much healthier, you know, knowing what we're eating and yeah. taking certain foods out of our diet. But uh, it all started with shit. <laughs> she all asked everybody, you know, what was your stool like? And they kind of went from there, uh, how everything related back to the dirt. It was it was a weird book, but it was very in, informative, that's for sure. Yeah, I, 100%. I reckon, like, you know what I mean, We're, we kind of live a very uh, sterile life now, in a sense. Like, I didn't get psoriasis until my first child was born. Yeah, That's when I, I was like, maybe two weeks later, I think the stress or whatever, yeah, the build up to that was like, yeah, as you, you know, you're, you're just worried, stressed out, you know get, you know, for getting them to the, well, I kind of lived the alternative lifestyle. I ran away with the hippies. So I kind of, yeah, I lived a, you know, a, 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 a lived in a commune kind of lifestyle for a, quite a long time. Yeah, we get back to anyways, back to the back on track. We'll be <laughs> so yeah, kind of the Morocco thing was a. Uh, you you just said it about going to, going to Amsterdam and going there. Now, I I somebody required the hashish book back in the eighties. You that famous with all the pictures of all the different, you know, from all around the world. And uh, that was fascinating to look at as a, you know, as a teenager, like, you know, I think we even cut pages out and had them stuck on the wall. You know, we destroyed the book in a sense, you know, like you just don't think, you think oh, there's going to be other copies of, yeah, but no. So uh, to be going to Morocco, you know, which is one of the little part in our the book, them doing their seven and things like that. You're actually going to be going where they're going to be, yeah. So uh that was like 
the build up to that, like for whatever six months, was like anticipation. Okay, like what's going to be ahead for you going here? And uh, going there in the eighties was a uh, you know North Africa was still you know you know not you know. Not that it was any way behind. It was practically a, a North African city that was actually in kind of Europe. You know, the Moroccans are well-traveled. They're, they're, a lot of them are in France and, you know, they're all over Europe. They're your doctors, you know. There's, you know, they're, they sent to go and get educated away. You know, that's what I found anyways. You know, anytime I've met them, they were always in that type of field. So uh, going to Morocco, you you know, I was, you know, even to, for to get the opportunity to go here and to be brought and where I was going to be brought, it was like, I, you know, just please, can we go now? You know, so uh, get down to this from a, uh, Left from London, and we get to the south of Spain. You get across on the ferry, and you're, uh, you know, get off the ferry, and you're, it's a, uh, the hustle and bustle, and uh, you know, I have to say, culture shock. You know what I mean? Because it's like your first time. I'd never dealt with Arab Moroccans or any. You know what I mean? You know, never mind. You know, and it's like you're dealing with the heat. You know. You've got your, you know, you've got your bags with you. You're, uh, you're trying to find a taxi that will uh, take you, never mind out of the city, but uh, bring you to the mountains six hours away. And uh, you have to, uh, you need to get your passport stamped by the police in the city before you leave to go to the mountains. Yeah. So there's a, there's a serious checkpoint on the, like, you know what I mean? When you, to get up into hash country. So, uh, you know, trying to find a taxi was, uh, uh, you know, it was the shenanigans of uh, people. As soon as they know that you're going to the mountain region, it's like they put two and two together. It's not like rocket science, you need a degree to, okay, so we can become like, we can get sold before we even get there. If you understand what I mean, like, to the we like we have to go to to the police. Plus, the taxi driver is going to go into the police station, and he's getting his stamp as well. So his taxi can go through the, you know. So there's a, you know, you have to kind of, you know, this trying to find the taxi guy. Anyways, was a a whole yeah, like maybe took us two three hours yeah, and before we even got stamped. And we thought we were getting robbed, you know, we were thought we were going, you know, you know. So uh, we get the taxi guys, anyways, and we set off on our journey. And uh, he, of uh, course, offers us hashish and, you know what I mean? And we're going, no, 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 you know what I mean? Because, you know, you just, you know, at any given time, he can pull to the side of the road and, like, he can make lots of money, you know what I mean? They can have come to an agreement. You don't know what they're saying. So you can be sold. So we weren't giving over our cover. We were saying we were going snowboarding, basically. Yeah, but we didn't have any snowboarding stuff. You know, apart from me looked, you know, as clothing similar to what people would wear going snowboarding. 
that's basically as far as we looked. Yeah. And uh, you know, Ireland's full of places that you can go snowboarding in, really. <coughs> you know. <laughs> so you know, they kind of were just give us that little kind of look when we said snowboarding. Like, you know, it wasn't even that it was probably just out in the Olympics at that stage, you know. So uh we get we they it takes roughly around four, four and a half hours to get to the border crop to the yeah, up in the mountains. Like you're actually in the mountains, but you're only in the plateau of getting into the Atlas Mountains at this stage. And uh you have to go through this checkpoint. To get through this checkpoint anyways, you're uh There's a you have to kind of pay them in some description. So you'd have bought Marlboro cigarettes on the boat going over, and uh, there you're like bargaining. And, you know, I mean, this there the softener hand them a pack of twenty. Here you go, you know, and it's like and they put a smile on their face and you know, give one to his buddy. He's happy now because he thinks the other guy's only getting it, and you make him happy. And then you see two or three of them come and run and they want theirs. So you, yeah, so everyone's happy. And you say goodbye and they wave and say, yeah, check that on your passports. You have the stamps, of course, because they tell you once you go beyond this point, it's a, it's bandit country. And uh, <coughs> so you, as you drive off in the distance, and you're looking back and you can still see the checkpoint behind you. There's Mercedes uh, cars coming out of the ditches at you with like uh, guys hanging out the windows going, hey, come to my farm, come to my farm. And it's, uh, you know, and all of a sudden you see one of them on the other side and he's carrying a lovely little shiny Kalashnikov. You know what I mean? Just out the window, holding, you know, and it's like, okay. So you're in a taxi and you're kind of going like they're trying to, you know, cut in front of you and come behind you and, you know, like bring you to a stop, a rolling stop, basically. Basically, you got to tell them that you don't want to go to their farm, but you don't want to tell them whose farm you're going to. So you kind of got, you know, you know. so as you go along this process for the next two hours is every single village. Okay, this is there's no mobile phones at this stage. Remember this. So as you go along the road, and as you know, if you've ever gone into mountain territory, you don't just go straight up the hill. You know, you've got to work your way, you know, laterally along the climbs or, you know, to get up. So it takes, you know, to get right into the Atlas Mountains to where you need to get at the altitude and everything is, you know, it's like six hours from sea. From where you're where you landed so uh every village they're trying to do the hashish thing come to my farm and you know blocking the road with donkeys and goats and you know because they can see you coming like for maybe like a mile or two miles three miles or five miles you know and then you know they know that it's a taxi coming up from the city you know so it's got to be something that's after coming through. Who is it? And everybody's is looking in the windows, and you know what I mean. You know, it's a little bit intimidating, but you know. So 
basically you get to your farm then and it's a once you you know get to where you're going you're inside a compound of like you know what i mean say four or five wall compound you know like a, say one outer yard then you know really like really nice with like like a walled orchard garden with all fruit trees and you know really really nice and read like this wasn't like this was an old homestead in the mountains of the Berber tribes, yeah. And they're they're different people than the people that live at sea. They're Arab Moroccans, is and the Berber tribe are like the original. They're kind of Moorish Moroccans, yeah. They were, and they got like a. They're the the assassins, you know, for the king. For the hashish, the ha, that word hasa, the assassins, yeah, is them. They're the Berbers that live in the mountain. So they're the guys that do all the all the seven. But it's actually guys that came from uh, the Lebanon and places like that that brought the technique to Morocco. Morocco never had the. It wasn't a hash producer. Yeah, I think it only arrived maybe in around the 50s, the late 50s, as far as I know, is when it got established in uh, in Morocco. So it was only in its infancy. Yeah, so uh, that's a, you know, when you're growing up and you're kind of, you've never seen fields of weed, but like when you get up onto these plateaus, as you got up the mountains, you could just see like, you know, the quality was like, as you went up, it was getting better, you know? And uh, I mean, as far as your eyes could see, I mean, with just fields and fields, yeah? And they had like, they had monocrop, they had like different crops in between and all that. But like, as far as on them valleys up the top, it was just, they're, um, they all have to fill a kind of a quota up there. Like, so they don't kind of uh, oversupply the market and everybody gets a fair deal on it. As in, you know, as in control that everybody gets back paid the same price instead of somebody getting a higher quality price and somebody feeling they were done out. So it's kind of a 12 tribes, that system that they all kind of all the neighboring uh, villages, all they all come together and uh, set their own price every year for the, so. It's, That's pretty awesome there. I think that everybody watching out for one another. There should be more of that around the world, yeah. in my opinion. So, man, you've, you've seen a lot of shit, man. You've been a lot of places. That's pretty awesome, man. Few, just a few. Yeah, I never got, like, lots of my friends, they done the whole India, yeah? I just, when I got introduced to Morocco and that, and it was, uh, it was easy accessible for me. I found it, like, I didn't have to go and be getting injections and, uh, you know, for malaria and having to get different, yeah. And uh, so, you know, I had to draw to, you know, 
to that back for that pollen again from the very first time with the first stuff I smoked, like it was more like going for that red lead. Yeah. You know, because uh, we'd stay on the farm. The person trip that went with that brought me was a uh, he'd been going there for maybe 10 years at this stage and he'd been brought by somebody. So it was like a hand on thing to a, a good friend and all that. So uh, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, so it's like I've done it. Uh, I kept people that experience as well, and it's you know, it's a it's a lovely thing to be handed down that you can go, you know what I mean? Go somewhere and get treated like it's it's unbelievable. I'd consider yeah. it to be an honor, to be honest with yeah, you. Yeah, it's you like you're, hook you're, up like you're that. really treat you like a king. You've made the effort to get all the way to there. And, uh, you know, so it was, you know, and yeah. being Irish over there as well, they kind of had a different kind of outlook. We, we'd never tried to invade them or anything, so we were never a threat. <laughs> so as a people, they just kind of, you know, we were friendly, yeah? which the other guy was an English lad I was with, and they'd like be laughing at him like, and they'd say, oh, ye try to invade us, blah, 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 yeah. <laughs> You know, so they'd kind of take, and there'd be like other nationalities on the farm while you'd be there. You wouldn't be just there on the farm. Like, there was other likely-minded people there for the exact same reasons as ye from all over Europe. So, yeah. And that's what they did. Like, they just, like, it was like your your high-end quality farm, you know. But we, we, we'd spend up to, like, six weeks when we'd go and uh, be able to pick go around pick your crop and the mix of what plants you'd want like because you'd get like say uh colas that were like from this round like maybe like you know from say three foot colas yeah the plants over there to six foot high colas like they only had like two little branches down the very bottom they weren't like what the structure of what we have they were like yeah so then you'd get like you know, like thinner, you know, and they could be six, seven feet. And then you got ones that were like, you know, monsters. And they went anything from 12 to 15, 16 foot. And they were like the, that was like where they had kind of mixed in, I think. You know, that's, you know, that that's where the Moroccan and the Lebanese kind of, where they had kind of, the plant had kind of drifted a little bit. So uh, you could go and you could pick your crop, say, from a ripened field like a, this one, yeah, then go and buy a, a quarter of an acre on another side of the valley, yeah, and then buy, you know what I mean, and go around and pick, you know what I mean, the mix. It was a kind of a, one, a citrus. It was kind of King Hassan, like his own. That's, you know, it was kind of a more... Mandar mandarin no uh clement clementine that type of you know citrus nice yeah and then there was a, a another one called belladonna yeah and then there was this big like cross and it was they would make this stuff called uh sputnik off that and that was more like a kind of a black 
tackier hash than the actual Moroccan pollen type. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, I'm jealous of all the, the hash experience. To be honest with you. I, I love me some hash. I enjoy some flour, but man, I love some hash. So I'm I'm very jealous that it's almost backwards there. You know, every time I hear you guys across the pond there talk about all this hash, I'm like, man, it just sounds like, you know, a wonderland basically, man, compared to. And again, I didn't have that. I didn't come across the appreciation for good hash until much, much later in life. Yeah, there was. I'm still talking about before they, um, you know, but by the time the '90s came around, that's when things changed. You know, really changed. As in, the quality of hash. This it went from the metric of uh, like we were buying in in uh, quarter pounds and half pounds and pounds. To kilos and that kind of they went to these things called nine bears yeah and that was when yeah. the shit hit the yeah that was like nasty nasty uh they were putting all sorts of stuff in the hash at this stage in the in the mid 90s but uh we can get to there anyways we'll get to that in another but uh the seven anyways like you would get your plants and they they would, you know, you go out in the, when you'd harvest over there, harvest like before, like the the sun was up and the mildew was just literally off the plants. Yeah. Literally the mildew was just gone. Yeah. When the mist had lift off the valley, that would mean that the plants were like, you know, that, yeah, the sun and uh, you're up at such an altitude as well. You know what I mean? There's only the mist. They're like the clouds of are like they're a long way down the mountain. Like where you were actually, the altitude you're at is serious altitude. Yeah. I mean, like my breeding and everything to get used to it up there was, yeah. Like you had to get used to, you wouldn't get altitude sickness, but you would, you know, your breeding, you know, your expansion of, yeah, plus the expansion of the quality of what you're actually smoking is, you know, you know, second to none in that sense. It's like nearly dabbing every time you go to dab. It's like, you know, the consistency. So uh, basically, the inside the compound, the houses are like maybe three stories in height as well. Yeah. So they have like a say a roof terrace. You know for. And we had our own room and the whole lot, we were there and our, and uh, well looked after, well cared for four or five meals a day, you know? And, uh, but they had these like uh, little turlock, tur- turrocks, yeah? Like uh, their drying rooms, but they're, uh, so they, they're like in the shape of a honeycomb and they'd have like a block you know, at the, the bottom of it, like every, say, third block was missing and set at an offset angle. And as it went up in a circular, yeah, like in a, like a honeycomb, like it was like a drying room and it had one center pole. Yeah, and these were like maybe 12 foot high ceiling, you know, inside. And it was like the next stairwell to the next floor, if you understand what I mean. That you were actually the drying rooms that they would use to, to dry their weed in, 
So the sun wouldn't actually be getting in as in, you know, direct sun on anything. And they would stack like up to the center pole and lean all the like of stacks of wood. They'd have like them all like uh, cut into like two foot long. And they'd all be stacked and like in a bundle of uh, five or six and they'd be tied around like pull uh, off the bottom of the plant like and just, uh, you know, that piece of like and just tie it up in its own. Yeah. Like just break the branches at the bottom and kind of the strenuous that come out. And uh, they'd have like little clumps, say five or six stacks of wood. So they have all these anyways for drying and it's probably up to three weeks of drying in there anyways. You know what I mean? And uh, before it goes down to any of the seven rooms or anything like that. So in the seven rooms, they have like maybe, say five tables, like kitchen tables with no tops on them. You know, the old tubular uh, tables, just a tube and they like sit six foot long and they have like a, a plastic tarp dripped, you know, like a three mil plastic, clear plastic and like a tent hanging from the bottom, like four legs to catch anything going through, yeah? And uh, they would put a screen then of, uh, like, fine silk, like, uh, or muslin, yeah? And uh, I don't know exactly what micron it, it was or what, yeah? But, like, they'd put, like, maybe for the beginning one, they'd put, like, three, three of them on, and uh, they would lay then the stacks of, Oh, like they'd bring it in in like a hundred kilo bags into the room, and at each of the table there'd be like a three guys: one guy that's feeding the table, and two guys that are on either end, kind of creating this uh, vibration at the very, very beginning to make your zero zero, the first pollen, and it's basically there's no uh, as in beating; they don't beat the plant or anything. They create this little vibration with their fingers one guy and the other, and it's like sending this wave back and forth across. Yeah? So they put the screens anyways on, and then they lay the bud along the, the stacks, and then they get like a, you know the old uh, canvas tarpaulins that used to be on the truck covers? You know, like a rain cover yeah. for a truck, but the canvas ones, the old ones, and they'd get that and they'd tie it down to the four legs and like get it like it was like a drum tightened like a skin so that you could create this like vibration on this and that like your your weed was inside there so like any downward the, would put the pollen through the screen and it would fall down I forgot before the screens were done you'd put a mirror yeah a six foot mirror in the plastic so that the first pollen that would fall you'd collect on your mirror for easy collection because off the static, off the plastic, yeah? So uh, that process then went from like your 100 kilo bag, yeah, up onto the table and it was like, this first process was very gently, yeah? And you put your 100 kilos through and then you, the process back and you take your first pollen then after you ran your, your 100 kilos and you, you'd, uh, that was your first pollen and probably 
how with that you're 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 talking maybe you know 200 grams tops if even maybe 150 grams of you know what i mean of the top grade you know what i mean you literally would put put it in your hand the the pollen and uh, get your hand and rub your hand like on the friction of your leg like really fast get a good friction get your hand warmed up and then just go and put your hands together and when you pull you, like and and look you know what i mean this amber like you know the consistency was like was you know beautiful like it was you know so that's what the quality like the, that's what you get when you go you know what i mean to get that quality outside of Morocco is, you know what I mean, unless somebody actually hands you that, you'll never get, you know, because as I said, it's 100 kilos and you're only getting, you know, you know, you're not, your return off the first one is not like, so that's like your first cream for you, yeah, then they put the process back through the table and they'll beat with smaller sticks, yeah, and uh, that process goes on like say three times and they're using like a up to the size of a say drumsticks by the end yeah and that's kind of like you've got your trees you know what i mean your three different screens of shake off at this stage which is all you know they're still all a melt but they're you know there is a slight more contaminants yeah as the process goes, yeah, because the, you know, the shifting of the in and out of a bag onto a table, back to another bag, and you know, and because these guys are doing it every morning at four o'clock in the morning, you know, it's freezing cold, yeah. For to get that, like you know, like it's freezing, they don't even have a candle lit in there because of like the the pollen that's in the air, like, it's nearly like a fine, you know what I mean? If you lit a match in there, you could, you know, like a flower burst, you know, like we could all lose our hair. <laughs> yeah, which is, they said has happened, like, yeah, somebody just has, so they kind of tell you to leave you your light. lost grain mills over here, like yeah. that, from, uh, you know, find a particulate in the air catching fire like that, so... That was my that. first kind of health and safety. <laughs> yeah. So that, like, you know, little, that, that, like, doing that was a, a process. But, like, what the actual then, like, come, say, the, the 90s, and uh, there was, I think it was the G4 or G5. It was only the, the, when the world leaders all met. But uh, George Bush Sr. said to King Hassan at the time that he wanted to stop the, the, the flow of hashish out of uh, Morocco into Europe and to the rest of the world he wanted to attend and uh, to get the farmers in the mountains to grow a, a different, uh, you know, they could earn money differently. So uh, basically... Uh, the irrigation systems were very, you know, when I first went out there, they were like, they were like nearly gorilla grows that were robbing the water from uh, the stream up, you know what I mean? And like pumping it down through uh, pipes, black pipe, you know what I mean? Through the valley, it was 
very rough, you know. But and then like they had like sprinkled like waters to go onto the and they'd flood. But when by the time the nineties came around, they had like a uh, irrigation up in the mountains, thanks to George Bush. Yeah, and he then that's where uh, they were at. They were up to they were able to up their quota of what they were able to grow now, and they were still able to grow twice as much of for hashish to pump into Europe, but it was of a, a lower quality. Plus, they all started to smoke themselves, and their sons and all that started to smoke, you know? So, like, the quality was never, ever getting out of that region ever after that, like, you know? Because they all got turned on to it. You know, as we, as much as we got turned on to it, they were getting turned on as the... Because the cultures were very... You know, North Africa is like a is a haven for Europeans to go on on holiday destination. You know as well. So back then as as well, like so. I gotta hit this visine, man. These contacts are fucking killing me. I'm sorry. <laughs> See me digging at my eyes, man. I'm like been dying for the opportunity to put some head. So dry, so dry. Uh, thank you. I didn't want to interrupt you by just like doing it while you were talking. I'm getting more. Miss Madam T, Main Mystic. How you guys doing? Dreamer 77 Double D. So, so are we, are, is everybody able to understand my accent? Yeah, we're doing just fine. They're loving the story. They're loving the story so far, for sure. We've got uh, 74 watching right now, listening to the story, enjoying it. Well, yeah, yeah so we're all, we all love hash, so we, you know, we're kind of fascinated by some good hash stories. You know, it's something we're all very cool. interested in. Yeah, there's then there's the there's the whole side of the guys that actually make the the commercial end side of it that's over there that's like they actually the ones that do it are all it's like they're working to get handed a, you know their inheritance to you know for their house and they get married and all that and it's like you know it's them been sorted out to build their own family. If you understand, so they do the production and they have like a say an oak tree the the uh, around of it, say that's like five feet in, in round, and uh, you've got two guys either side of it with baseball bats that are of course of oak, and you have like you know, but there were it's like a sweat room in there for them to make pollen. And if you've ever got hash with like flakes of plastic, have you, in it, where you get these little flakes? If anybody's in chat and they've, you know, if they were in Europe through the 90s or they'll know about getting flakes of plastic in their hash. And that's basically, you know, where the, that, the pollen is so dead, you know, like that pollen that you get, that's like, you know, it's, it's food grade, if anything. You know, mm -hmm. you wouldn't be smoking it. 
so it's like a heavy contaminated like you know it's got a lot of it's not even pollen basically it's just plant plant matter so they're basically trying to bind make that bind together so they have to create this friction and uh, they've got to they've got to make this kind of a bottle shape tube that's filled with hash that's made out of plastic yeah and it's then uh, taped onto a stick and one guy sits and he spins it on top of the oak ring and the two guys either side are beating it yeah and the friction of it heating it up and the guy spinning it really fast and there's maybe like 20 of these uh, round oak tables with like uh, four at each table and the intensity of this room, the drumming, like the, the noise that they're making is, and this, oh, it's the smell of body odor and, oh, and the look that they give you, especially as like, you know what I mean, as a foreigner and what you're making them, but it's like their passage to manhood. If you, if you can, it's a strange, yeah. But like then on their wedding day, when you're there and you see them because they all get married on that harvest moon and we're always there for that and they all get married and uh wow they're coming up and hugging you because you know you you put the backsheesh in their pocket like and made their their bride very happy <laughs> you know so there's like you know it's very primitive you know when you go live in the farm settings up there and don't like you know but trying to get that now, you still, it's, I can go still to this day to the same farm and everything. Yeah. Just uh, their, their father is dead, that's all. Nisham is dead. So, But the sons, all the yeah, sons are there and they true. run everything. Often, yeah. so. uh, do you still go occasionally? Say that again. Do you still go occasionally? I've, I've, uh, six years ago is when I, the last time I went, I've found like, yeah, uh, quite spoiled now. Don't need to, don't need to take that risk anymore, you know, and old and all that. that. And, uh, it's, uh, if. If you understand what caramellos are, you'll know that it's not, it's very uncomfortable what caramellos are. People in chat that would know what caramellos are, how you, yeah, without me getting me in, without getting myself into trouble. Maybe somebody will type into chat what caramellos are. If anybody is in from the UK or from Europe, yeah, I'll tell you off here, okay? <laughs> But that's what they were preferred known as, yeah, Carmelos. Good shit, if you can get the what what I'm trying to say to you, yeah. Where the sound, where that word oh. comes in, and it, has, it actually it has a a good meaning, not shit. <laughs> as in good quality. I believe you. I I believe you. I believe you. So, yeah. So, yeah, you, you. So, back then, you like the. 
just yeah, there was a big risk involved and everything, but like yeah, it was worth it. All was worth it. And you were only I was I was only for me anyways, and trip. That's it. Well, it sounds like the journey was, uh, you know, fun. You know, I mean, what a story to tell. I mean, it sounds like it was quite the adventure. It obviously has left a memorable impression. Yeah, the whole thing of, like, making your way back from there is like a whole rigmarole itself. You know, they, they put the big massive signs in the desert, you know, like, the, the boys hanging out like big signs, like billboard signs, like what you catch when you're coming up from Mexico, like that you're going to get, you're going to be, you know, <laughs> all the guys hanging in 50 in a cell or 200 guys in a cell waiting for you type of scenario and big billboards of, and all the trucks that had been previously stopped in, yeah. So they have all these as a, as a display heading up to the border. It's crazy. <laughs> Very you intimidating. Second guess your trip. Yeah, I <laughs> bet. I bet. It's always easy to enter, but uh, leaving the place is uh, another thing. <laughs> you know? I always found. It's always hard to leave. <laughs> So yeah. So, so when did uh, you uh, start uh, growing? If you don't mind me asking. Um. Well, I started growing as you do. You get like your first seeds back in the day when you're a kid and all that. Grew out my first little got to like, say three four foot high, nice little bushy plants, and uh, taught my friend and didn't have them the next day. That was my introduction. Mm. First, they got robbed. <laughs> so, yeah, then the next year it was like, try again, trial and error. But basically we were having to sift through bird seed to get hemp seed. You know, it was that type of, you know. You know, in the very beginning of my first initial starting to grow or anything like that. But, uh, yeah. We brought back uh, Superwoman seeds to her uh, Northern Lights cross with a uh, White Widow. And that was maybe 88, 1988. And uh, just, we, hadn't, we had no idea what we were doing. We were growing on a balcony. Yeah, like on a, you know, we didn't even really have too much sun or anything. But these were smelly stuff. But the neighbor told us anyways that she could smell them. And uh, yeah, but her boyfriend anyways was a, a guy that had a little bit of knowledge. So he required a, like a, a light from that was for lighting up a building on the outside of a building. A, a thousand watt. And we had that basically burning the life out of a couple of plants. Yeah, for the first, yeah. And that was my kind of first introduction and, yeah. Then living to the next door to the Rastas in London, there was like, between our house and their house, there was a, like a derelict building that had been burnt. Yeah, it, there was a fire in it. 
and say they had there was like a the first floor was still intact. So basically the roof was off it and they were basically growing inside in the shell of the house like they had like plants, you know, in hidden in there. And we went investigating and we found their thing and then there was like a little bit of a stay away from our our magic garden type of scenario and uh, and we said we'd like to have a magic garden in our garden and we'd be happy. So they kind of uh, come up and showed us a few little, you know, the basics. But it was never ever finished out uh, anything that we have today. You know what I mean? It was always chopped down, you know, way before it was finished or before it got mouldy, you know. So kind of probably 10 years ago, I, I, uh, I got the tent and got a 600 watt. And uh, yeah, it was a greenhouse. I went and got a train wreck, required train wreck about 10 years ago. So no, that was my so first uh, feminized from a uh, feminized seed from a uh, greenhouse. Company, so. And that was me hook, line and sinker then into, yeah. So then I went and started, you know, as we do, it was uh, the first kind of person that I listened to when YouTube back then, of course, 10 years ago was just in around 2007, whatever. So there was, you know, the Australian uh, guy, Krogs, remember the old guy? Have you ever seen his videos of him doing the kind of gorilla grows? Mm, yeah, yeah, I do remember. remember kind of his videos were the first kind of anything like that. And then, of course, we had that. You know, remember when Sub used to put on his Australian accent and things like that? Mm -hmm. And he was like... Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, her, the Hervantes, you know what I mean, Georgia. So, you know, we kind Did of... Did you ever watch uh, the, the green guy? There was the green guy. Uh, yeah, maybe. On, he'd paint his whole he'd paint his whole body green. And oh then yeah, he was fucking yeah. like he was good wealth of information, but it was oh, funny yeah. to sit there and watch that cat all painted up. I always thought, man, I can't believe this guy went through the time to paint himself up all green like this to make the video and shit. But remember, Georgia Havantas used to put uh, brown stuff on his face and make him up like he was taught he was a, you know what I mean? Come on. And then we're a Rasta. And, I mean, like, we used to go to the Cups and every November go to the, go to Holland, like, for the Cups. You know, through the 90s. You know, even in the 80s, late 80s, that's, you know, that's where you went and you kind of met. I remember Bubble Man when he was only a little squid, yeah? Fresh over from yeah. Canada. Yeah, with his dreadlocks and the whole lot. Yeah, like when he had them bubble bags, like, and we were like laughing because we'd seen the isolator already in kind of in Holland was around and there was a stuff, there was stuff called scuff as well, which was like, was the first stuff that they used to get when they, their first kind of shaky kind of 
Yeah, it was called scuff. It was like a little bit. It had more uh, plant material in it. It hadn't been sieved out or anything. But lovely, like, you know what I mean? Lovely, you know, bubbly stuff. But it was contaminated to fuck. Yeah, and that was called scuff. And then they had, like, the isolator, yeah, that they were making in Holland. Yeah, and this stuff called Twizzler. Yeah, lovely. Yeah, so meeting all them over there was like, you know what I mean? And been to go over and you watch the development of this whole industry is like crazy. Like we couldn't believe, like we were laughing at them because I'd been to Morocco and I was saying, you're going to, you're going to grow. You want me to grow this thing or go to Morocco with these bags and uh, get ice. You know what I mean? And crush up ice and do this in a bucket and destroy the plant. You know what I mean? When you can just like do it over a sieve. I couldn't get my I couldn't get my head around why you'd put it in water. Do you know what I mean? You know. <laughs> you know. I just I've got some bags right here. I'm getting ready to make some like the next <laughs> day or so. <laughs> So, like laughing like you know what I mean we were kind of like we were you know a bunch of stoners and we were going like your man over here listen to this fella like little did we know you know what I mean but of course like later on that evening he wiped us he wiped the floor with us like he he gave us some hash that we never like you know what I mean and it was like wow I, to this day I don't know what cultivar it was or what but yeah that was like his, uh, it was a clearer hide than any charis I've ever smoked out with chillums or anything like that. So like, yeah, he, he got us back because, yeah, he remembered us taking the piss out of him during the day, yeah. yeah. As you do. It's funny. Oh, yeah, that'd be, that'd be a good moment on his end. Yeah, you boys think it's funny here? Try some of this ash and shit. <laughs> like I was there the year the cops turned up like, and raided us like you know what I mean what a, yeah. You know, yeah they literally funneled us into the place as soon as they got in the doors they literally blocked the front and like you know but yeah what a crazy kind of like they just really wanted to photograph us all and you know, <coughs> more intimidation and, and to move on yeah because it was no longer in, say, this small, dingy place. Now it was actually in this big, you know, proper, you know, facility. You know what I mean? That other exhibitions go on in and things like that. You know, why, do, why have it in a, you know, in smaller places? Like, yeah. So that, like, so, yeah, Amsterdam is... Had a, a fun place in my heart, anyways. Yeah. Like I said, oh, I wish I would have been able to capture some of that uh, that ambiance, I guess, if you will, back then yeah, yeah, before I'm... the current legalization. Because I, I wish I would have been able to catch that atmosphere. Yeah, you could. You can still go there, but like everything, like uh, it's the cultures have moved on now to. You know, dabbing and stuff like that. You know, as you know, so you're you're still going to find the still the same old places. Yeah, but uh, I if I was 
go there and, and probably go there for three or four days and then move on, say, to uh, to Barcelona for Spanibus if you were ever going to come and just or have Amsterdam on your return journey on your way back out, go from Barcelona to, you know, that's what I'd advise. Because then you get you get to sample two cultures, you know what I mean, aspects of, of a club scene, yeah? Because the club scene in Spain is very good. It's lovely, nice and friendly. The only thing is like, yeah, there's they smoke a lot of tobacco in their joints of the culture as well, you know what I mean? So you have to kind of bear that in mind that you're, you know, that's the only kind of downside of, you know, and one or two of the clubs of the top end want to charge you 50 euros for membership, which is a bit steep. You know, if you're only going into that club for one night, which most of the other clubs are like five euros for a membership for a year. You just basically hand over your passport and they'll scan your passport and you fill out a little form. And that's basically it. You know what I mean? They give you like a little dongle then, like that you'd have on your key for, for, and you basically, you load up that dongle with, with your currency. There's no direct transaction of cash over the, over the, so you have to go to a, another counter and load up this dongle. Yeah. So there's like, they keep it separate in the clubs. So then you can go down in your menus on your wall, like, And you can pick from similar to your dispensary type. Yeah. And uh, really That's nice, chilled out. That's like, you know, they have live live music and yeah. you could have a, a glass artist in there blowing glass. All, you know, nice. You could have Damien Merley singing your songs over in the corner. You know, little things like that. Sounds like the old after hours kind of mentality when, uh, when we, you know, that was that we'd do that after, you know, you'd buy tickets for alcohol after two. You didn't necessarily buy alcohol. You bought like tickets and then you'd take the tickets and buy alcohol with it. So you weren't necessarily buying alcohol. You were buying tickets and trading tickets. Yeah. So. yeah we used to have a thing called uh, you had to have a supper. You had to have a meal to have a, 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 a lake license to three o'clock in the morning. You must provide a supper, you know, you know, as a stable, some because they're drinking for over three, you know, after closing time is at whatever, 12 o'clock and then it's three. You know, I mean, you must, they, you know, through a law in Ireland, you must eat something. <laughs> so like... <laughs> You wouldn't want to eat what they were giving you, <laughs> you know, just to get around that law, silliness. But yeah, getting back to the groating, yeah. Uh, sub, of course, like, and what, like the people that he kind of would visit, you know, and likes the Jinx and member Prospect and all them boys, yeah, and That guy, Minnesota Nice. Yeah. You remember him? Yeah. Yeah. I do like remember in, him. Uh, like he, like. That was right around the time the Fresno nerds were oh. hanging out. Oh. So that's right around the time the Fresno nerds were hanging out over yeah, there. Yeah. 
that's who I kind of got into watching back then. Kind of, you would probably in the chat as well or whatever back then. It was like, it was a very, you know, like it is today, as in the numbers you know that watches your show, that now will watch, you know, the grow room, that will go to few meets, we'll go like I do meet the boys at Hash Church. Uh, you'll find them at the Dudes Grow. You'll find them then at, over with Dirtman Dan. You know, you, you know, we're follow around Jeff. You know, you know, we all follow the same. You know, same going back to the to the very first grow tube and all that. Like going back, I kind of trike comb chasers. Do you remember that? I do. I do. I yeah, and. Uh, Land and air when them boys were doing that, like back in the day. And uh, is it North? Is it is it North Star Genetics? It's a uh, used to work with Sub. There was North and, Star. No, not, not yeah. Was it? Yeah, there was a few different guys used to hang around. And uh, YouTube, there is a. Uh, uh, what was it? NV Classic Medgar yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. So we were all like watching that very same similar thread. You know what I mean? Learning, getting, waiting for the little tiny bits of knowledge to be dropped. So uh, kind of got like never kind of done the super soil, but tried to get to the super soil. I kind of I'm in the living soil at the moment with a. Uh, so, yeah, so I've uh, Eco Tribe and Indoor Gardens Dry Amendments, and uh, then I have Dragonfly Earth Amendments as well, and uh, I have some Recharge there, some Mammoth Pea. Mm. So, how do you like the living soil uh, type setup there? I've only, I'm kind of only maybe a year and a half. Just getting, you know what I mean? I've had a few bad results and I've had just started to get, you know, it's, a, it's having different cultivars. Every cultivar is different. So trying to, you know, keep this one of old school, cherry spices, like she doesn't need much. Like she's from um, back in the day, she's an old strain. And uh, so she doesn't really like too much. She just, you, she basically could leave her alone and she'd grow away and keep happy out. You know, she doesn't need too much attention. Uh, as you know, like then the next plants, like as we get into like growing any of jinxes, they're come from a super soil. Yeah. So you know that these plants are going to be hungry. Yeah. Do you understand? So different. Yeah. The cherry spices from uh, this company here, the Tricom Jungle. I grow this one lint as well. So there, this one is a tropical, yeah, passion fruit, like pineapple and mm, beautiful, like a tropicano turp over of the lint. And the cherry spice then is like a cherries with a men menthol, like spice, but like a a real old school kind of kick of gas. Of like the cookies in there, it's 
kind of it's got a lovely it's not the biggest bud production but it's old school nice little dense little rock solid so, so what is it has been your favorite strain you've grown so far which one's um, been your favorite i'm really shangri-la is my all time i was on the hunt when nine when the nine pound hammers whole thing broke back in the day and uh, trying to get it was and then uh so i was at attitude seed bank jinx wouldn't send at that time yeah and you know for so uh he said to me look i'm i've got my seeds at attitude go there save me the you know what i mean all the so uh Went attitude and was I had done business there before, and uh, so I kind of built up a reputation with the, one of the girls there, and uh, I'd met her at Spanibus as well. So, yes, she would give me like little tester free stuff and all that. Yeah, so uh, I was in contact in chat with her, and uh, I said, "Look about the nine pound hammer," and she says, "Look, it's as soon as it comes back in, I'll hold you and." Yeah, they just were snapped up straight away, the first ones. So she said, I have a kind of a, it, it, it was like a, a freebie along with the nine pound hammer. Yeah, that she had left lying there. And she said, look, I'll send them on to you if you want. All right, thank you very much. So I required Shangri-La and uh, I got three phenos out of six seeds and uh Ended up keeping two, and uh, yeah, like one short little stocky, yeah, and another one maybe like a six footer, but like completely dense, rock hard, solid, yeah, and she's uh, uh, throws off that pinky pewy hash. Ah, I told you guys. So, I was talking about it the other night. Was you? Did you happen to hear that when I was talking about that the other night? Yeah, but I, I've kind of said to you that I've grown, and we I've kind of said that to you about that pinky pew, like a real. It's like a light pink, like on the real pink, not like on the purple. Purple, like when I, if if I washed the 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 gorilla girl, yeah, that gives me a purple pew in a, like a different like that. My water is really like winey color. Which, yeah, it's actually the sand. It's not like you're you're losing it. Yeah, it's not a color thing. It's actually, yeah, it's different. Oh, but like, what? It's a beautiful terpene profile like that. It's exotic. I don't know anyone I I've ever given it to is like, it's to die for. You know what I mean? They they can't believe like. So that was like my little crutch for a while. I kind of, I, that was my stable diet. I kind of just had that for ages as well until I got, and I've gone through a heap of packs of nine pound hammer. I've never actually found the one I'm looking for. Yeah. Because I, like, yeah, I've been looking for that black one. Yeah. But like, I'm not, I'm yeah. like, I have a, a, an albino rhino. Nine pound hammer, <laughs> jam. It's just, you know what I mean. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Like, uh, 
That nine pound hammer is definitely a, was a great strain there. There's a lot of phenos in in that nine though, that's for sure. There was a there was a parent change from the first batch yeah, to the second I had, batch. So there was yeah, I I had I got one pack of the original, yeah. Before it was I have it and it's the Helms OG. They hadn't found God mm-hmm. at this stage, yeah. So the next year, the, I think Sub had gone through his rehab and then they had found God and they had the Jesus OG with it. Yeah. Yes, sir. In that sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I actually kept a, a, what I called the eagle cut from my nine pound there for a long time because it was so different than everything else that was out there. <laughs> it was kind of a... Um, a melon, kind of like a musk melon kind of flavor to it. You know that, you ever like remember baby aspirin, how it had that like orange kind of creamy smell to it. That's kind of what it tasted like. And uh, and that was only the pheno you found in that first batch, that first release there. And uh, so I always kept that one. I kept that one for years and years and years. And I kind of let it I kept it coveted, then I actually passed it to a couple people on the last show and with the idea that, you know, it was supposed to be a respect thing. It's always a respect thing. Hey, man, I would appreciate it if you didn't pass this cut until unless you've asked, you know what I mean? I kind of want to keep keep a little control of who's got it, you know what I mean, or know who's got it, you know what I mean? And then as soon as it was passed, it was like dished right out, dished right out. And I was like, eh, fuck this thing. <laughs> Ain't so special anymore. So I kind of let it pass. I got seeds. I still got seeds, but I let that pheno go. I was like, what the hell? I lost the attachment to it. Yeah, I have a, a safety meeting as well from Jinx. That's oh, a nice one. Kind of a you know, real burning kind of smell. Kind of musky. What's nice about that Shangri-La is, I don't know if you knew that, is that's got a, a Chinese strain in yeah, it. It's not that. Yeah, that's that what I mean. It's... That Fudumayo is in yeah. the Shangri-La. That's the hard one to find there. But that was great strain. No, that's what I mean. Like, this one is an exotic terpene profile. It's like gut. Between bananas and uh, rotten fruit, which, you know, but it's got an exotic, it's like from your very first toke on a joint to the very end, you nearly, you nearly eat the roach, you know. It's like one of them, you just go, you want to smoke another one, it's got like a, and a lovely stone off it, it's like a beautiful but you don't find, like, I find, like, for strains like that, they don't come too often for that really lasting to the very end of a joint where you're going, actually, I I have to roll another one, you know, which I have no problem. That's not a bad complaint. No. I do enjoy them ones where, you're like, you're kind of looking at it between each toke. You're just kind of like, <laughs> you... You taste very delicious. <laughs> I have uh, two different joints going at the one time, <laughs> as we usually do, you know. 
I actually seen a gentleman doing that the other day. I was jealous. I was jealous. We're riding down the road, down the highway, and I look over and I seen that cat fucking looking at his joint like that. I'm like, oh, he's got a good one. <laughs> you know it's good when you catch him staring at it like that. Ah, even driving down the road, he was eyeballing that thing. <laughs> so... You sent me the the seeds, and uh, I got the jelly bean and uh, popped them, got them all up, and uh, well, males, yeah, all male. So, yeah, oh, I got man. four out of the yeah, four out of the pack. Four came up, and I ended up with all males. But uh, yeah, that's the way cookie crumbles sometimes. I, it just happened last year that I oh, nearly most of the stuff I ran, I got a lot of meals. Yeah. Just whatever the... Yeah. But any of the little keepers that I got have been kind of nice little... Yeah. I'd be happy to send you some sangria. Make, mm. make sure I get that address again. I'll send you out some sangria. That's another really good one there. That's from Northstar. Very tasty, pretty, pretty flower. Pretty, pretty flower. I still have some left from uh, profile on that. It's uh, like a wine, like a like a winey taste. You can find like a green apple, there is a green apple pheno in there, but either way, it's winter. Winter, winter. I I hear everybody talking about it. Green 13, he's got he's got a nice of it, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, like I had oh. I had Agent Orange back in the day was my first the subs. Yeah. Before I ever bought off Jinx. The only reason I really bought off Jinx was uh he kept pushing the thing of uh that it was mold resistant and things like that in these videos back then. Remember the school of dank or whatever, wasn't it? Or the dank tube yes. was it? Whatever, yeah. No, school of dank. Yeah. Day. So in them, yeah. And he would always, so that's like, over here we've got that problem. So that's why I got attracted to to growing jinxes stuff, was that and, you know, similar climate, very similar, close to sea and things like that. And actually, not anything that's like, anything that you're at high, there's no point like growing at, if you're at sea level, there's no point in growing something that's from the, Himalayas, like I think you're, you know, takes a little while for it to adapt to your room, anyways. Yeah. Unless right, you're I using that, I actually know a gentleman that's uh, he tries to reproduce his uh, Michigan native is who does this in Michigan is uh, he tries to like do the research on his strain. So if he's like growing an Afghani strain, he's like watching the weather over there and trying to mimic that you know temperatures and shit in his room you know based on what was going on over there i'm like man that's crazy but i guess i can see it i can see it it works for you yeah Yeah, that's what kind of brought because i i was trying to eliminate all my problems as you do the last thing you want to be doing is failing in this game because it's like you know you need to get, you know, you can get very disheartened and give up. I find a lot of people give up too quick. 
you know, I think you just, you know, a lot of it, get your environment right. A lot of people go and they, they'll buy a tent and a light and forget that they had to buy a fan and an extractor fan. And, you know, I think the shops should actually kick people out if they're going to get them, you know, really not, not you know, you know, give them the stuff they need for the environments anyways, that they, you know, at least get them on a good. Yeah, I can agree with that. Said to to a point, to a point, because I, you know, I've been to a lot of growth stores in my career, and some of them were trustworthy, and some of them just <laughs> wanted to sell you whatever they got in that day. So, yeah. but that's what I'm saying to you. I wish, like, I got this in the heart because I got sold salts when I went there, and I was coming from the whole hippie thing and I ended up walking out the shop with uh, the whole line of that big I won't even mention their names but yeah so I had all their like you know what I mean as you do that A and B and thinking that you were great and it, all your stuff just tasted exactly the same uh, it didn't matter what you were you know it just tasted the same you know so like after two or three rows of that, and I was kind of going, no, this isn't for me. Like I went back to the, you know, and he wanted me to buy, you know how they do it, all that like stuff. You're halfway through and you have to buy the next half of the bottles and the next line and there's, and you're in and you have 15 bottles of fucking water under your... <laughs> so, yeah, that's all I you're like buying. I like the way they bottles. conveniently make... Why can't they make? And I, I already know the answer to this. They don't never make that shit, so you run out of everything at the same time. Yeah, they want to make it so you're going out and grabbing a bottle of this, and you've got a whole bunch left, so you're stuck in the system. You know, it just keeps like a fucking whack a bowl, just one yeah. here, one here, one here, and it just never it leaves because you're. Yeah. yeah, that's what I mean. Like, but this—that's where I mean. If you're if you're in this business now, because you're you've got to be in it for the long haul. If you're one of them shops, it's no longer a fly by night. Like I like I wouldn't go near the grow shops back in the day because I thought they were like as you did they were undercover and you know I mean no you know so that was like a, you know you're trying to buy go when I go to England and buy stuff go and buy it there and uh, post at home you know. That's where I got my first kind of uh, my dry amendments or day, anything like that. To this day, oh. I don't go to the grocery store in my town. No, I don't. <laughs> yeah, you know, no. I go the one next one over. Just out of that's me as well. Yeah. yeah. The further away, the better. Yeah. And now See, I, I mean, don't have to kind of. I've, one of my friends is the, does the Dragonfly Earth Amendment, so he's the main distributor in Europe, so I'm lucky in that way, you know what I mean? And then he's friends with the Indoor Garden uh, Eco Tribe guys in England, and it works, you know, so I get, we're, we're sorted for our, for our living soil anyways. In that sense. 
Well, it's way to be anymore. It's where where everybody else is kind of striving to get. Yeah, I'm going to try the air. Sorry for going over you. I'm going to try the air box. I'm very impressed by your two babies in the back there. That, that's uh, yeah, that's serious growth. You know what I mean? Plus, I have a like, as we all do, like run into that little nap problem. You know too high in nitrogen or whatever I am, or I, I, I had a friend of mine died la last week here. And uh, so I overwatered going to the funeral for the few days that I was away. You know, just then came, of course, then I, you know, I was greeted by this little fella flying around. Yeah. And the many more babies that he make or she, you know, so went into the room yesterday and I was in with my Dyson Hoover, like, yeah. And I thought it was Luke Skywalker. <laughs> you know, going on. <laughs> Here we go for the next month, you know. Because it's like that 28 day site there to, to knock them out. So I'm, I'm, I'm into more bottom. I'm not so much into top feeding as in watering. Yeah, of course dry amendments in but no but like trying to uh, water from the bottom so yeah. it takes some getting used to that's for sure yeah it seems to be yeah, i don't have really any well the blue mat systems i don't have any of the blue mat systems in i've seen them uh, i'm still waiting them for them to be tweaked i don't want to invest in them yet you know what I mean? Because I've seen it over the last three years, how much they've actually changed in three years. You know, from them little carrots down to their hose to, you know. Like, I'd really like to get, uh, is it, uh, what was it? Uh, oh. Uh, green roots, yeah. You know the grassroots fabric pots. You know the grassroots fabric pots. Uh, never heard of them. Tell me about. They're like uh, for living soil. I think it's like they were. I think Jeremy. They were like. I think they were making grassroots fabric pots. And they've got like liners for living soil and different, they've got like nice big beds, yeah, like 120 liter and 160 liter size pots and yeah. But they've got like nice walled on them. They've got that nice mesh, you know, for breeding and all that. And they've got like, for keeping your worms happy. I have a problem with my worms want to fucking leave. Yeah. They, they, from what I understand, they only want to travel when it gets dry, like dry, dry. I haven't got, yeah. I don't know. I don't have them red wigglers. I just have my own worms from our own. Yeah, I didn't go and farm. I farmed them myself. Go out there with the, go out into the, yeah, with a watering can and uh, lay down a load of uh, cardboard and uh, just do like a little water dance for them on top of the cardboard, like soak the cardboard, 
But then, like, get them and then just little flash lamp at night time and go back out the next day and lift the cardboard and you've got, like, uh, you just can, like, farm them every night for a couple of, yeah. But that's how I was getting them. You know, to, for my starting, for initial, for when I started doing my own, yeah, composting and all that, so. And uh, the same I that Mindo dive into the earthworms this year. Yeah, that that Mendocino nice guy, he dropped knowledge back like a, a little uh, knickers, like women's underwear, and you cut the little piece of material at the front and fill it with rice, and go and put it like a, for to in your own environment, yeah, and. Uh, collect like say 10 feet from your water 20 feet from your you know what i mean next to your lake or whatever then go to the forest and put them like at five feet into the forest 20 feet into the forest like you know put them different and trying to get all your microbes from all over you know what i mean from your own garden front and back yeah even from your own kitchen yeah from inside in your own house i can try and bring that and uh, even that of putting the seed in your own mouth and uh, then yeah. germinating that and creating that environment that's for you I found little them little things back in the day when they were dropped they've always I've always stayed by them so harvesting your own instead of you know like as I said like I have mammoth pea there you know what I mean but I've I only ever bought one of their 100 mil bottles, yeah? And it was way expensive, way too much expense for what, for what it is when you can buy, you know, uh, you know, recharge and there's, uh, we have this stuff called BIOS over here. It's from EcoTribe. It's very similar, you know, for, you can't compare really, so. You know, and, and I some got of the I products were great, but they aren't working. Yeah. They are so fucking expensive. It's hard to that's, justify it. Yeah, I, that's what I said. I said like they're really good products, but like I couldn't justify spending that money. You know, even though it was only like it you know like three, four mil a drop per per liter, but uh, still, it's a lot of expense if you have a couple of rooms. Yeah, you gotta start throwing, you know, it comes to a point like where you're talking, but if you don't start keeping that in mind, you might as well just be buying it, I think. You know what I mean? If you're dumping so much into your garden and you're, you know, it's massive light, CO2, super expensive nutrients, you know, I think at some point if you're just trying to throw everything at it. At some point, it might just be cheaper for you to buy yeah. quality. <laughs> yeah, it's like when I went from HPS and got bought into the Cobbs, like, say, three years ago, and uh, the Cobb LED lighting, and that was like, wow. Like, because I bought into the first of, like, the purple lights, the Budmasters and things like that. Wow, what a piece of shit, you know, really. 
what another thing for the the grow shops that are still selling them today. Like, come on, you know, stop ripping the people off in a sense like that. Because as I say again, we're here for the long haul, not the short. You know what I mean? This is like, as you know, it's like the gateway to grow. And as you say, you're going to go out and you hopefully this year get your outdoor garden going. Like I got my outdoor garden growing my own veg last year because of all the shit that's going on around the world. You know, you get more self-sufficient. Plus you have, you know, you've learned these things and you're going, well, I can do this thing and it's not so bad. And yeah, it's easy, you know. You know, and you have all your, you know, all your scraps from your food waste and all that and all your leaf material and all your, everything goes back in. Even my water from my from my hash run. Yeah. Feed that back. You know, leave it 12 hours, sit out, of course. Don't feed it back with freezing cold water. But like, let it sit for 12 hours and then just, yeah. I don't mix any nutrients into it. I just feed it back. No, not overdo it, but... They love it. They love it. Yeah. Love it. Like, I have tasted it. It's not nice to drink. <laughs> Even though, like, I'd love to find, because like, there's lovely terps in that that you're going as well. Like, you know what I mean? So, it's, hmm. yeah. Yeah, I had a conversation the, um, the other night with Brent that was on last night about uh, hash. And he was the one telling me, you know, that the water is basically where a lot of the municipal, uh, the the medical stuff is basically, you know, the turps and a lot of the oils were lost in the water. And if we could add that back with their hash, we could add, make our hash uh, municipal again, our medical again. And, well, we all know about the turps being volatile, don't we? Yeah. yeah and I like. He would. Because that makes sense too, you know. I would make well. We've talked about making coolie about it several times. Somebody commented in the the chat there: "Don't drink your hash water; you'll get sick." Now, I think yeah, that's only got, to say. I got the room uh, for. Yeah. Yeah, run. Yeah, run through me, but I only done like say like a shot glass, maybe you know like. I, I, I thought it'd be like drinking a juice, you know, like drink, you know, I, I, yeah. So I, I thought it'd be more like that. No. I've never no, experienced ran, ran that. Ran <laughs> I think as well, because well, you're, uh, I think a lot of the thing is, even though you're in an indoor environment, you still pick up a, there's still dust, you know what I mean? There's still, you know what I mean? If you check your filters, I mean, like, where does, you know, you check your fan and clean your fans, like, well, there's always something, you know, airborne, you know, in a sense. You know, it's, so, like, our, our plants are, like, not exactly the clean, you know, so you're going to have that contaminant back in your water as well, that's, yeah. that uh, only to the extent though i think only to an extent i think some of that may become to you know the state of when you drink it too because i think you gotta like 
usually when they, I make it, it's I heat it up to you know, kind of decarboxylate it, if you will, kind of bring it up and activate it, and put sugars into it. So I'm sure when I heat it up to a, you know, a certain temperature, I'm killing off some of you know whatever bad's in there. But I've never had a bad reaction like that to it. Again, you know, I don't spray anything on my plants, so I'm not necessarily worried about, you know, anything being out of them. But if I did, I sure wouldn't. I sure wouldn't drink my ass water, that's for sure. Uh, but, yeah. It's all how you do it, I guess. So, um, how, how do you grow? How, what is your method in growing? Do you prefer to just let them grow up? Do you scrub? Do you prefer to do I lots of tapping? I, I do uh, with uh, bamboo, tied them down. Yeah, uh, scrogging because uh, I've got a perpetual garden. You know what I mean? Trying to do it, and I'm not. Don't have it. Uh, don't basically have the room yet, yeah. So it's only snug, you, you know what I mean. It's small scale snug, you know what I mean. So there could be, you know, a couple at a time, but they're all, they're usually all well staked out and tied down and yeah, you know. So. That's old. Snogging is yeah. I've run like, it a couple I, of times. Yep. I find that you, like all that when you cut the string and all that and uh, like some of this like in the early days of that like would put you off and you'd see these things go flying you go no and you'd have to be pulling them little strings out of your bud you know you know yeah, or else like no so they're like even now the ones the elasticated ones I find they're they're way better you know there's a a bit more durable and you can wash them and yeah. And they're more for a smaller setup, you know what I mean? So. Yeah, I, I've tried a couple of times. I just can't do it. I just can't do it. I, harvest is just no fun for me. <laughs> Doing it branch right. by branch and not being able to pull it out. Oh, man, it's just work. It's just work. No, even then, for when you go to even taking down and all that, the whole process and all that, I like to hang the all the plant in one, you know, like just take off. I like that process, you know, leave it whole hang, not to be, I found that way nicer and, you know, just let longer cure and all, like or longer dry, you know. I think if you, you can cut it down and put it on hangers and have that and it's like, yeah, if you have X amount of it and you're short for space or whatever, but if you can try your, you know. Kind of come to it my own. Because I'm only, I'm only on for a, myself anyway, so. On the, like a wet trim versus dry trim versus a plant hang. Yeah, I'm not and a dry before, trim. Before, you know, we were, dry trim, we were not always. I don't like... Go ahead, I'm sorry. I'm a dry trim. I don't, I did do the wet trim in the beginning and, uh, you know, found that that was like, that's part, I found that was part of the whole get it down in as quick and dry it and, you know what I mean? 
Like I remember the first time I was ever drying, we used to put them in brown bags, you know, like hanging it, like put your hoods in brown bags and hang a brown bag, you know, wrapped in newspaper and things like the silliest things. Like no wonder we were getting mold and, you know, cutting off all the air supply. Just take off them fan leaves. Give her, you know what I mean? As as you're coming closer to uh, for for it finishing up and all that, I usually have a good like been in there taking ten leaves off here and one night and twenty, you know what I mean? And kind of help yourself that you haven't got such a big and because of, I'm only taking down small, so it's not like a, I'm never in trimmed as such. That's. I'm a, you know, in, in that sense. Yeah. So you know, I've always heard, you know, a couple of ways about like the whole plant drying, why it was better. You know, I've heard that, you know, it's it's the sugar leaves that come around the bud and it locks in the terpenes and it, you know, helps it taste a little better. I'm sure that has some to do with it, to be honest with you. But I think yeah, it has... It's a little more complex than that. You know, I think actually even leaving some of them fan leaves on like you were talking there and uh, wouldn't be a bad suggestion because I think moreover, yeah, it's pulling water in, it's holding water, but it's also holding nutrients. So basically, you know, if you go in there and you pull everything off, you're, you know, you're shortening and killing that plant off quicker for a faster you know ultimately faster dry but i'm thinking if you do like you do your whole hang plan and you pretty much leave a lot of stuff there it leaves more more room for it to kind of stay and hang alive upside down pulling water and nutrients from the leaves and finishing out you know basically in the air you know what i mean I, i'm sure that the leaves you know encompassing the buds has a lot to do with it, but I think it's the nutrient avail new water and nutrient availability of kind of slowly being able to die and finish out on its own is a lot of the difference there. Not just, you know, it the leaves ripening around it and holding the turbs in. Like uh letting your plants go like don't go to this if it says sixty whatever days on your pack. That they, they, they should take them days thing and that whole thing, that should be disbanded off. That should be blanked off. Like, you know what I mean? Your plant's finished when it's finished. In my, you know what I mean? It needs to yellow out. Like, yeah, these boys that are pulling the stuff down and making this beautiful white-looking hash. You know what I mean? Yeah. I prefer a little bit more amber to my, from the old school, kind of the stone I want. Like in the... That's, you know, it's 80 days, you know, if they say 60, it's 80 for me. And the plant is basically dying. It's, it's, it, it has eaten itself. Like, you know, I'm waiting for the last, like, them little sugar leaves that you have. Yeah, that they're actually, you know, before the it makes the bud look up. It's, the plant has eaten itself, basically in that sense I wanted to do like be completely yeah. I think it's like all the sugars that's in naturally in as you say the nutrients that's held in the 
plant as it gets out. You know what I mean? Them natural sugars the are the kind of it's it adds to the you know adds to that end flavor. It adds like the nice sugar that that lovely white ash that everybody keeps going on about. You know that nice smoke that you're not like you know. It's a cleaner, like when it's nice and cute, like you know what I mean. Like I prefer, I do like weed at maybe like you know three weeks old. I find there's that very happy, lovely terpene profile that's you know not exactly there. You know what I mean? It's kind of changed slightly at six months. Do you find that? Like I'm, yeah. I'm I'm happy to smoke it at three weeks. You know. No, I find it. I, I do too. I, I prefer I to smoke it good job three then. weeks. Yeah, yeah. To be honest with you, I like it. Uh, I like it a little more on the moist side. To be honest with you, I don't mind having to go back and clean my scissors up occasionally. You know, scrape them and clean them up, and wipe them off. I, I would rather that than to you know take a bud and just. Poof, you know what I mean? Just a crumble break up with my fingers. Uh, to me, I'm like, when I do that, I'm like, ugh. You know, so I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm, like I'm past peak. When I give my stuff to my friends and they'll always say to me, you're, you, you're just still old school. Yeah, they, they'll say that to me. That uh, The way that I'll, you know, if you want your weed trimmed up, trim it. As in, like, I'm going to, like, I'm not going to go and take all the sugar leaf off and you know, I find a lot of these people are buying their weed today, and if they really knew how much they're they've been shook, that bud that they're getting, even though it has trichomes on it, as such, you know, it's that lovely rounded, you know, and, you know, dispensary weed that's like, yeah, the hash makers are in heaven, <laughs> you know. I'm still like, oh, I don't mind like, I don't mind them little sugar leaves, you know, to a certain point. Coming, I've heard coming from being a tobacco smoker, you see, seven years ago, I stopped. So that whole thing of like, you know what I mean? It was in, when I started to break the tobacco habit, it was that initial, you know what I mean? Using, you know, your trim as your, you know. Because, of course, like, I come from a culture that don't really smoke neat weed. Like, I mean, like, nobody will smoke with me. Of them. there's a few only a handful of friends that'll smoke neat and we usually smoke our own we don't pass them days of passing giants I think yeah you know but uh, for me to actually you know especially at the uh, the likes of been at the funeral last week was I handed one or two people because they were like the smell and the whole lot and it's like okay here and it's like 10 minutes later they're whitened you know and they're going I never like you know, you, you tried to kill me or something. You know, having palpicate. You know, as like, and I go like, if you're not, if you're a tobacco smoker and you take a neat toke of a, yeah, I don't call them blunts or anything. So I think blunts are people get mixed up in the whole. A spliff is a tobacco joint, or isn't that? Yeah, and uh, you know, or a joint is like a, a neat. Yeah. And a blunt is a is a tobacco wrap, Blackwoods. I lived in uh, yeah. I never even got to tell you. I lived in uh, Boston as well. 
I did do a stint in. Yeah. So I have, like, yeah. So I've lived in. Then back to Ireland, huh? Yeah. I need to go to go to the toilet for a minute. I'll be back in one second. Yeah, no worries. No worries, brother. What's going on, Chet? Jack Greenstock, how you doing, man? Thank you for giving me a shout out on your show today, brother. Greatly appreciate that. I was listening. A lot of times anymore, I'm just listening. I'm just listening. Pulling a towel, not necessarily popping into chat. I never actually considered that until Tao pointed that out. That you know, sometimes you can. Once you say hello, then you have to say hello. So sometimes it's easier just to sit back and listen. I have to hear somebody talk about what you just said. Thank you, Unlucky. Thank you very much. Uh, what's up, Zippy? You must be in Boston as well. Yeah, great dude. Thank you guys for helping pointing him this way. Raising his hand. Everybody's talking about you in chat. Saying thanks for having you on. You're a good guy. Oh, it's nice to come on your show and do it. Like, you're a blessing. I really are, like, you know what I mean? And the connection, like, the, it's, it's the web goes around the world it's like the you know what i mean and you've thrown it out there and you've really fair play to you for going at it every single day you know what i mean and uh, it's really taking up that from subby and running with it and you know what i mean as you see like i, I i'd say you don't get too many people saying no to you like when you called me out the other night and you said oh i wish i was got you you know, it was the first one, you know what I mean? And it was like, okay, you put me on the spot. It was no more than when GMO set me up. So you're coming on the show then. Like, we were just chatting in chat, like, or in not even, like, in, yeah, on another. And it's like, okay, you just, it's easy, yeah. And uh, been as the, one of the people in chat and, you know, been around all these different ones. It's a pleasure to come on and yeah, just give back to the community and say thank you to you and to everybody in chat for we all help one another and there's no there's no bad malice or anything in like that we've got previous and other slightly toxic, you know what I mean, which is I think is really nice. You know what I mean? And it's everybody and if anybody comes in that's slightly and you know, you can I don't think banning people is good either. I think people can be talk to nicely and you don't have to all attack because of somebody's opinion and I think it's great that we can all have opinions it's great no, and have all different no, it's but we all come from different we all come from different backgrounds yeah and all were you know and if we were all the same we wouldn't be here you know everybody and it's a look for what you do to, for all of us is like you know and doing two shows, the amount of hours, like Joe Rogan is jealous of you. You'll soon be have a platform, you'll outdo the whole lot of them. 
<laughs> if you keep going the way your hours are going to be huge. <laughs> I could only hope that uh, this could continue and get bigger like that. You know, it's just uh, it's just one of those things, you know, when you say you're going to do something, you should, you know, follow through with it. And this this way I've approached anything in my life. You know, if I've said I'm going to do it, I, I put everything I can into it and, you know, try to take it to the fullest, be the best I can about it. Otherwise, you know. Why start something? If you're just going to half-ass it and, you know, spin around and fall, I guess it's okay. Otherwise, you, I take that back. I guess it's okay to try and quit, I guess, because, you know, sometimes you just not, you may not good at stuff, you know what I mean? But you never know if you're good at something unless you try. So sometimes you try stuff and it's too easy. Oh, it is. But you got to put yourself in this community as well. Like, you know what I mean? As you say, like, you had to travel to Amsterdam. You know what I mean? You had to always kind of go somewhere. Like, I'm sure back in the day, for you to go, like, you know what I mean? You know, I know that you grew up, but you're very close. You know what I mean? That was your dad and all that smoked. So you're, you know. My 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 parents were very lackadaisy with me, like, when I was a kid, like. Like, instead of having me, because, of course, as you do as 14, 15-year-olds and you're on hanging on the street, you know, like, and smoking. Back then, in the 80s or whatever, you're kind of like, you, you, you know, the local police were not, you know, very, you know, and it was very taboo, like, you know what I mean? Get big sentences for enough for a joint, like, you could get three years, four years, like, you know, you could end up, you know. So my parents would rather have me smoke in the room in my bed, like, you know what I mean? And have one or two friends over than, you know, than me hanging her, you know what I mean? In that sense. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, you know, I've always been on the, I don't know how I felt about that because I've never really been approached by that. You know what I mean? With my kids kind of, you know, can I hit that or I smoke that? I don't know. I guess I've been a little naive. I've been pretty blessed with my children. You know what I mean? I've never, they've been really very close. You know, they've stayed home most of the time that was raised in home. They didn't stay with friends a lot. They've been very, very blessed with boys because they're all three very beautiful girls but i haven't had a lot of that problem either but you know most of it was you know them when they left the house it was from cousin to cousins you know not so much to family you know friends to friends where you had to worry 